1: Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all the subjects you're talking about in football. On a packed pod today, we have news on Real Madrid's managerial situation after their shock defeat midweek in the Champions League. We have information also on moves at Manchester City, Manchester United, Liverpool and Wolves coming up very soon. I mean, regarding with me, as always, is Duncan Castles. Duncan, we're going to start at Real Madrid. Uh, I would say that it would be the Santiago Bernabeu, but in fact, it was the Alfredo de Stefano Stadium, which is, of course, at Real Madrid's training ground, where Real Madrid, the 13 times winners of the Champions League, have suffered one of the most probably embarrassing defeats uh, in their history in that great competition to Shakhtar Donetsk this week posing questions once again over the future of coach Zinedine Zidane. It is our information partly, uh, because Duncan's going to tell us much more in uh, Expanse, that Mauricio Pochettino, who has been quoted widely as a potential successor, is on the list and has been in touch in terms, through his representatives, uh, with President Florentino Perez. Uh, So Max Allegri, the former Juventus manager, is also someone in the frame. Uh, However, Duncan, you have a couple of names who have not been mentioned uh, and you can tell us who they are, but of course everyone will recognise them as soon as you say their names, being Madrid legends. Um,
0: Raul, the coach of Real Madrid's B team at present, and uh, Xabi Alonso. Uh, another former real madrid player who has been coaching at uh, b team level uh, over the past year um, but would be available to go to real madrid now i think you look at both of them and you look at cheaper options that's what you're seeing there a lot less expensive than Maurizio pochettino a lot less expensive than max allegri who was on a salary of 7.5 million net at Juventus in his last job and, and was close to taking the Inter job in the summer as we told you in the podcast but um, Inter could not afford to sack Antonio Conte and bring um, Allegri in simultaneously although Allegri wanted to take that job. Allegri interestingly has had conversations with Florentino Perez in the past about taking over at Madrid while he was still Juventus coach. Those I'm told were amicable went well Um, There is a good relationship between the pair and and indeed that uh, although Allegri decided that he would not take the job at that time, they ended the conversation on a kind of, well, not this time, but we will work work together at some point in the future. I don't believe there has been recent contact between that pair, which again points towards either the Pochettino or the uh, um, Raul Xabi Alonso cheaper option um interestingly i'm hearing that following that defeat to Shakhtar Genetsk and and 13 is a, is a good number here because Shakhtar were minus 13 first team players because of COVID and injuries for that game yet went to Madrid uh went 3-0 up in the first half and held on uh, for a 3-2 win in that game um, and as you say one of the most embarrassing results in madrid's history that following on from a 1-0 home loss to newly promoted cadiz Um, and then obviously tomorrow they have the classical against barcelona who who have don't have their own problems to seek at the moment but the, the suggestion is that this might not require a dismissal um on the part of florentino perez uh the the suggestion is that Zidane might walk away if he doesn't get the result at the weekend and interestingly he was asked this morning about his future and his response was, it is what is said, I will not deny it, nothing has changed, last year the same, my first season the same, what I have to do is my job. Um, So not really killing the the fire there and although you have to say Zidane has been in this position several times before. the discussion over his future, the preparation on, on Florentino Perez's part to replace him, um, times when Perez has felt that the dressing room uh, is not responding in the correct fashion to the coach and, and he would need to change him. And Zidane has survived all of them in the past and indeed not just survived, he's gone on to win titles and trophies. Um, I think you also have to note that their Champions League form has been poor Um, not just this season, not just last season, the season before. It's now since Cristiano Ronaldo was sold to Juventus, um, since he pushed to leave because he felt disrespected um, by the club, they haven't made it past the last 16 in the Champions League. And that Champions League is important to them more than ever, not just because of the numbers, not just because it's the, the, the competition that Perez and madrid want to win above all others it's because of the financial aspect of it um, and the money that can be made from the broadcast revenue money that's badly needed for a club that hurts a lot when they can't play games at home when they can't have people through um the club museum um who went through this past transfer window adding no players whatsoever in an attempt to to keep their finances as strong as they could do through a a very difficult period for them.
1: It is interesting, Duncan. Uh, I was speaking to um, someone who is quite high up in the uh, Madrid hierarchy, as it were, uh, yesterday. And uh, we discussed Zidane's position, but uh, we also discussed his personality. And this person has told me in the past that Zidane um, is quite an interesting character. He can uh, come across as extremely confident, as you'd expect from someone who has succeeded both as a player and as a coach in spectacular fashion. But also, um, if things go against him, he can also uh, exhibit some signs of fragility uh, in terms of his personality. And therefore, the idea of him um, stepping down is not something which uh, is unfamiliar to the people who run Real Madrid. Uh, And therefore, the idea that, you know, this will not necessarily be the case should they be on the wrong end of a defeat to Barcelona this weekend, uh, that he may well decide himself that enough is enough. Um, and I'm gonna go now. So the um that factor I think is something that people should be aware of, uh, because obviously we're used to managers and head coaches holding out and holding out and holding out because simply they want to uh retain their job as long as they can. And of course, in doing so, being sacked, they obviously get compensation payments, but the money is not what keeps Zidane in his position. He's quite happy. Uh to uh, take uh, responsibility for himself in these situations. So we will watch with great, great interest over the weekend what happens um, in Spain, in La Liga, at Real Madrid. Former Barcelona player, Duncan. Um, people tend to forget that Adamo Chori, uh was a product of La Masia. Uh, now it wills obviously, and the... One of their best players, for sure. And you've reported in the podcast uh, regularly about interest in him and Wolves' valuation of him. Uh, Also, a target for Manchester City in the last window as a potential replacement for Leroy Rosani. He obviously stayed. And now, perhaps, he might be staying longer. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, this is a player who Wolves had calculated on selling this summer. Um, and reinvesting the money in their team because there was such great interest in him through the season because of the performances he delivered and, and the way he's developed into not just a quick, powerful player but a quick, powerful player who contributes on the field who creates goals and scores goals which is something that was almost entirely absent from the early stages of his um, career in England remember he left uh, Barcelona at quite a young age was signed for a substantial fee by Aston Villa ended up going to Middlesbrough. Wolves invested quite a lot of money to take him, but at that stage, it was questionable whether he was going to remain in English football. And, and even in his first season at Wolves, the, the manager, Nuno, had question marks over whether he could manage to turn them around and make him that effective player an efficient player that is essential to be a part of the Wolves setup. They're probably one of the most efficient teams in the Premier League. He achieved that. As you say, Manchester City looked at him as a replacement for Leroy Zani. At that time, Wolves were quoting a figure of 150 million euros as a transfer fee, and the expectation was that they would not sell for less than 100 million. Um, COVID made that an impossibility, as Edward Wood pointed out this week in his um, conference call to investors when the, when Manchester United uh, announced their not um, not particularly impressive financial results. Not a single transfer went through this summer of 100 million euros or more. And obviously, Woodward was using that as an excuse for not um, meeting the asking price for Jadon Sancho. But it is a valid point that prices came down. The big deals weren't done. Only Chelsea with Kai Havertz and, interestingly, Napoli um, taking Victor Asimhen from Leo uh, for a deal that will reach 80 million euros spent at that level adama has got three years left in his contract. Um, he's not well paid because of where he came from and when he was signed, his, his current salary is around £50,000 a week. So it's way below his status, uh, way, certainly way below the valuation that Wolves had, had placed on him. Um, the logical thing for Wolves to do is to extend uh, the contract, improve his financial terms to allow them uh, to sell Ideally next summer, for a good fee, and not get into the problem where uh, next summer, if he hasn't signed a new contract, Adama could say, "Well, can get it down to um, two years." The summer after that, you're trying to sell me, uh, and then you're in that position where if I hold off, I'm, i you lose all the transfer value. There have been talks already on a renewal. Um, I'm told that Wolves' offer was way below the level that Adama thought uh, was realistic for his um, qualities um, and in Adama's case you're, you're looking at a player who supports a lot of individuals in his family um, with his salary this is not money that's being kept purely to himself um, they, those talks reached a conclusion where they said okay let's do this again in person with adama's representatives coming over to england to talk face to face with wolves um, there's a complication obviously with the the tightening of COVID regulations at present um, i think the expectation is an agreement will be made in the end um, however the, the, what i from what i understand they are some distance apart and um, there's a fair bit of work to be done on getting him tied down to a longer contract and strengthening their position for a for the planned sale um, in the coming summer.
1: Duncan, for some reason, and personally I don't get it, but get-out clauses in England are very unfashionable, whereas they are the norm almost everywhere else in football. Uh, do you think Adama's representatives will insist on a get-out clause given the huge valuation that Wills placed on him this summer, which probably was the main reason why he didn't find a move elsewhere, especially in the current financial environment. uh, It seems to me um, it's a trade-off, isn't it? Uh, Yes, I'll sign a new contract, but I'll do it if you give me the rescission clause, which means that a club knows what they have to meet to buy me in the future.
0: It's possible um, when... Traoré moved from Spain to England for the first time. Aston Villa bought him with quite an onerous uh, buyback clause included in his deal, which allowed Barcelona to take him back uh, for a set price, um, which would have left uh, Aston Villa with very little profit had they uh, decided to exercise it. Um, so obviously, that was placed by the club, but probably. Um, was one that the player would be happy with because it allowed him to increase his salary and have the opportunity to return to Barcelona in the future. Um, His representatives are a well-established Spanish company who are pretty savvy in the way they uh, manage their players' careers and um, keen on getting the right valuations for players and and giving them outlets uh, down the line. So it wouldn't surprise me If they were to try and include a set uh, release clause in the deal, Um, but I haven't actually asked that question, so I can't tell you if that's part of the negotiations today.
1: If there's one thing we know is that Duncan will be asking that question straight after this podcast is finished recording. I have to say this, Duncan, the segues are just flowing today, absolutely flowing, because we're going from one former Barcelona player to a current Barcelona player who connects us to Manchester City and our next story, and that is, of course, that Gerard Piquet has signed a new contract at Barcelona in the last uh, two to three days. In doing so, he's taken a 50% pay cut in alignment with what the club is trying to negotiate with the entire squad. And, of course, there is some friction about that, Duncan, regarding uh, the, the other players who are effectively saying, well, you're the guys who wasted money on Usman Dembele, uh, Filipe Coutinho, et cetera, huge amounts of money. I um, know you're asking us to foot the bill. Uh, Barcelona's board are saying, no, we're all in this. Uh, we all have to be realistic, etc., etc.'" Pique has kind of shown the way. Um, but of course, Piquet, born and bred, uh, Barcelona, Catalan, uh, came through La Masia as well, uh, had that brief spill at Manchester United. But other than that, has been very much a stalwart at the uh, camp now. How does this affect Manchester City? Well, Eric Garcia, who, and many people have said, is very much in the image of Piquet. Uh, He's also come to Manchester. He spent uh, his his formative years at the Etihad, but now as in the last year of his contract, has so far refused an extension. Very interestingly, Pep Guardiola said, after this week's Champions League uh, win, that he still hoped, and I quote, to seduce Garcia into signing a new contract with City. Now, it's our information that uh, Garcia and his representatives learned of Piquet's new contract via the media, uh, were not told by Barcelona that they were uh, negotiating with PK to uh, re-sign him, and also that they were quite surprised when they found this out, as the way that his move back to Barcelona had been sold to them was... You are the successor to Gerard Piquet. Now, it also seems to be, Duncan, that City, obviously in a better financial state given their ownership, etc., uh, are in a position to offer a much improved contract to Garcia than perhaps he might expect at Barcelona as they are contracting their wage bill. Uh, and it looks like that seduction, which Pep Guardiola mentioned, may well have some effect. Um, You've been following the story. Uh, Do you think that things might change or do you think Garcia's mind is still made up to make the move on of contract at the end of the season?
0: I think you're you're correct to point out that the move back to Barcelona was sold to him as being Pique's replacement. Um, He obviously wanted that move. He'd, He'd given... His commitment that he would go to Barcelona had agreed financial terms with them, um, which was why Barcelona were confident that they would be able to get him out of Manchester City at less than City's €20 million euro asking price. They got pretty close to that right at the end of the window, um, but they weren't able to meet it, and City held to the asking price and essentially said, we, we would rather keep this player for a year for the difference of a few million euros. Um, and lose him for nothing in a year's time, which again underlines his value to City. Um, I think the idea of the Pep Guardiola seducing Eric Garcia is quite an amusing. One, I, I, I wonder if we can get a, an Amazon-style documentary with cameras around the candlelit table as, as Pep puts his best cardigan on and and uh, and sells <laughs> sells sells his future in, in the centre of his defence to. To
1: Garcia but if obviously- He could take him to Tast couldn't he? Not to Task, to Tast which is of course Pep's Tapa's restaurant in Manchester Not to Tast the, the
0: uh, French spelling of Court of Arbitration for Sport because City <laughs> there. well maybe you should take him there then There's an opportunity for Garcia to establish himself in the centre of, of Manchester City's defence this season um, Améric Laporte has been prone to injuries so, you can see a situation where Laporte is out and Garcia gets in, or Ruben Gias gets injured and, and Garcia gets in and establishes himself and plays or a run of games. Um, obviously, they have a lot of money invested in Ruben Gias. And obviously, um, Laporte is Guardiola's favourite, his preferred choice, the guy he wants to build around. But in my view, and in the view of specialists in football, there are issues with Laporte as a defender. Um, he is. Technically, very good on the ball. He's great passer of the ball, which is the reason why Guardiola brought him. He's physically powerful and impressive, so a good fit to English football in that perspective. But positionally, he's not great. He gets himself into difficult areas. Also, I think he has a habit of making mistakes and underperforming in the very biggest games. And obviously when you're at Manchester City, those very biggest games are really important because this is a club that's expected to win the Premier League, expected to win the Champions League. Now, I don't think Guardiola is going to lose face in, in LaPorte, um, whatever happens. But you have the question of whether Guardiola will still be there in a year's time. Now, if so if you're Garcia, you're you're there for the season, you start getting games, you establish yourself in the team, and you find out that Cheeky for example, rates you highly enough that he will propose to the next coach that you be the starting centre-back, then obviously there's the opportunity there. What they, what they definitely have is time. They have time to um, try and get an agreement with the player. They have until January when he will be able to do that pre-contract with Barcelona, but they can try and convince him until then. And and as you say, Barcelona's situation is hardly the most seductive at present with them trying to cut um, the salaries of the players. I don't think that affects Garcia, um, importantly, because he will be at the, the lower end of the pay scale, regardless of how good a deal they give him. Um, but is it as attractive a, a club to go to as it was two years ago? No, I don't think it is. Um it's, it's an interesting one to see whether City can convince the player uh, that he's better off changing his mind and and committing to City and being uh, central to their planning going forward because they, they, they definitely want to retain him. That part they've been completely consistent on. They don't want to sell him to Barcelona. Um, they see him as an important part of their team. He has grown up. In their system for the last few years, he's been taught by Guardiola. Um, yeah, it's a, it's, it's an interesting test case. You don't quite, do, you don't often see young players like this having the choice between clubs of that um, level, uh, and and seeing which way they 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 pick.
1: It'll be very interesting to see um, if Garcia can indeed. Get round that candlelit table with Pep, and uh, sign on that napkin, which famously saw Leo Messi join Barcelona so many years ago. Um, I wonder if Chiki will give uh, Chiki Bagheri that is the sport director will give Pep a ready prepared napkin as a contract
0: well, for the dinner team. You, you you mentioned Messi, and I think it, it's important here that. Piquet, having signed that extension and having hired some of his fellow players gave a a long interview in Spain where he explained why he'd signed and got stuck into the club. Essentially, um, made it clear that this was not him toadying with the the current regime, and he and he wasn't happy with the president, and he wasn't happy with the board, and that he expected them to be out before too long. But one of the things he mentioned was Messi and the the bureaufax and Messi's decision to leave ironically for Manchester City in the summer and uh, and he, he he says at one point in this interview, what's going on? Leo deserves everything the new stadium should have your name and then that of the sponsor saying that that's one of the conversations he's had he's had with Messi and I think that just underlines the the disarray Barcelona are in where a player of of his gravitas and status is Along going along this line of the club owes Lionel Messi everything and they should do everything to retain him and give him power and even name the new stadium after him. Um, As we discussed when we broke the news about the the scale of Manchester City's contract offer and uh, the attempts of, of Jorge Messi to get Lionel Messi out of Barcelona, a lot of the problems there and a lot of people who know that club inside out, they feel that a lot of them are associated with handing too much power to Messi. Um, and actually, the pragmatic solution this summer, if you take politics out of the equation, would have been to take the money from Manchester City, let the player go and rebuild from the start. I suppose you're seeing that now, because if, if that had happened, they wouldn't have to propose 50% pay cuts to the entire team as a solution to their financial issues.
1: Well, as, as- much as you know it's difficult people generally think it's difficult to have sympathy for footballers Duncan as we know because they earn so much money, et cetera et cetera. the argument has to be also that um if we look at the a, a, a level playing field, if anyone's asked to take a fifty percent pay cut in their job whether they're earning a hundred thousand pounds a week or a thousand pounds a week or five hundred pounds a week, it affects you effectively um in, not in the same way but in in a in a similar way and people don't want to have their pay cut in half simple as that if you take a job on the basis that it's paying you x amount then you expect to be paid x amount you don't expect at some point to be told well you're going to get half of what we originally pledged to pay you so i can kind of see the point of the barcelona players i think it was uh unusual Um, and slightly wrong of some of the players to brief friends of theirs in the media that they were angered by the fact that they thought that Piquet had gone behind their backs in his negotiations with Barcelona uh, because they didn't know the full facts at the time that he'd actually taken the the pay cut to stay and obviously he's a very senior member now and he wants to finish his career at Barcelona so he's decided that that's what he's going to do Um, But of course in setting that example, i.e. by taking the uh, 50% pay cut, then it puts pressure on them to do likewise. I think maybe some of the anger has arisen from there. But um, that is financial reality. But it's also the financial reality of how Barcelona has been run. And both Leo Messi and Piquet have spoken out in recent weeks of the mismanagement of the club under Josep Bartomeu and how uh, that the mess that they're in right now has been largely of an inept boards making and also it seems that that's going to continue for some time until a new administration is voted in potentially in January but certainly by March and then uh, they've got some job on their hands sorting out that mess. Speaking of a mess in the boardroom, Manchester United uh, announced uh, their latest financial results this week, Duncan, and there were some interesting uh, facts uh, recorded in those results. Um, of course, there was the usual um, boasts by both uh, Edward Wood and Richard Arnold that it doesn't matter that that we've made a loss or indeed uh, we have decreased our revenue because we've got a billion more people on social media saying that we're great, um, probably not as uh, music to the ears of the stakeholders in United as it might have been once, given that they are effectively losing money uh, in their investment. However, uh, you spotted something, Duncan, which was not making the headlines, but is actually very interesting because it could very well affect Manchester United in the short term and long term in terms of how they trade
0: yeah um, yeah you're right they weren't the full year results for last season weren't pretty the revenue has uh, dropped 18.8 percent from 627 million pounds that they took in in the 18 19 uh, financial year to 509 million now when they went into this financial year, they projected earnings of between 560 and 580 million. So you can take from that, that the the damage COVID had done, and this is just four months. So this is running till the end of of June. Um, So it's only part of the COVID damage was around um, 70 million pounds. Um, if you take the maximum of, the, of their projected revenue figures ahead of that season. Also tellingly, um, made no revenue prediction at all for the 2020-21 financial year. So they're not prepared to say how much they expect uh, to come in, how much worse they expect revenue to be over this coming season, where, of course, they don't know when supporters will be back in the stadium. And I think Edward Woodward was very strong in saying that they needed to get supporters back in as quickly as possible and, and pointing out correctly that the government's position where you can go to the, the theatre or you can go to the cinema um, and watch those uh, events in a crowd, in a, indoors, is legal and acceptable, but you can't go into an open-air football stadium and watch football matches at even at lower density. Is just illogical. But then so much about the UK government's response to COVID has been illogical and idiotic. Um, they made a 23.2 million loss across the financial year. Interestingly, exactly the same sum as they paid in dividends uh, to investors. The majority of that dividend going, of course, to the Glazer family. So even though um, it's the worst financial performance that they've reported for years they're still finding money to pay to um, the owners and a way of extracting cash from the Manchester United cash cow then you know down in the detail of the report you get some interesting elements where the the debt of the net debt of the club went up substantially um, like over 100% increase in net debt level but that is attributed mainly to a reduction in cash. But part of that cash that they're missing out is attributed to deferred sponsorship payments in excess of £80 million. So what that's saying is that their sponsors, their commercial revenue, have been given a holiday by Manchester United of substantial amounts of income to allow them to overcome the COVID period. Now, I don't think there's any guarantee that that money will eventually come in. On, on top of that, they are, they've given a six-month extension to Chevrolet on their shirt sponsorship deal, which is due to end at the, the finish of the season. So they extended that to 31st December 2021, um, apparently because Chevrolet were having difficulties uh, paying the their sponsorship commitments, which were substantial. That was a record shirt sponsorship deal, and they agreed it. Um, almost seven years ago, uh, to allow them more time to pay the money. Now, they haven't, although they've announced an extension, they say that there are no other significant changes to the sponsorship rights or total consideration, which will now be paid in sterling via installments during the period to 30th June uh, 2021. So that's saying that they're getting no extra money from Chevrolet for giving them six months, uh, further access to the front of their shirt. That in itself strikes me as a very substantial amount of money to an opportunity to hand over by Manchester United. So that Chevrolet contract worth roughly £70 million per season. So half a year's worth is £35 million of opportunity lost, assuming Manchester United couldn't improve on that contract level. So, and again, it suggests. That they are having trouble securing the next sponsor because if they had the deal already in place for the next sponsor, you would you would expect them to say to Chevrolet, it ends at the um, at when it's supposed to end, and you need to pay us when you're supposed to pay us because we've got a new shirt sponsor who used, wants to use the the front of the shirt. So you know the, there's potential if COVID doesn't get solved in the UK rapidly for quite significant difficulties for Manchester United in terms of sustaining the, the kind of spend we've expected from them um, through that period. But I'm I'm sure regardless of what happens, we'll have Richard Arnold um, coming on to these conference calls and, and boasting about the number of social media interactions the club have, have managed to uh, attain over the period uh, one of his quotes we achieved higher engagement levels across all platforms during the fourth quarter they didn't break that down into how many of those engagement levels were positive and how many were negative negative. Um, and remember this is a club that just a few weeks ago was briefing about how social media negativity was uh, damaging the performance of the team uh, off record so um yeah, this the obsession with social media um doesn't really I wonder how the the investors, the, the corporate investors, see that, uh, and uh, and whether they get as excited about it as Richard Arnold and and Edward Ed would seem to to get about their uh, their social media numbers.
1: Well, Duncan, when we go onto our investor call, which of course is just a fantasy uh, for the transfer of the podcast, we can certainly boast about our um, social media engagements because they have been substantial <laughs> <laughs> and certainly. This week, they've been more substantial than usual. Um, Substantially negative, yes. (laughs) If you want to find out why, then please go to our timelines on our social media channels and you will work that one out for yourself. Um, Quick word, Duncan, about this weekend's uh, big game in the uh, English Premier League, which, of course, is Manchester United versus Chelsea. Both teams... Recorded, I suppose, well, certainly Manchester in case, positive results in the Champions League. In Chelsea's case, a clean sheet was something very unusual. The first 0-0 draw in 62 games of Frank Lampard's Chelsea's head coach career, Um, interestingly. uh, Perhaps that was an omen Duncan having included 30 year old goalkeeper Petr Cech in his squad. <laughs> Maybe that had an influence on the 0-0 uh, the draw. Uh, it's going to be a kind of, um, well, from the, it looks like, you know, uh, a kind of battle between the, the high scorers and the bad defenders, really, doesn't it? Well,
0: look, like it's a great result for Solskjaer in midweek. Um, he implemented a, a system we've seen from him many times, which is uh, play back five, um, sit back against opponents you know will attack you whose strength was in attack uh, and hit them with pace on the counter so play Rashford and martial up front with in this case Bruno Fernandes feeding um, and Fred feeding to to start with and then Pogba coming off the bench um, quite a substitute to have to come off the bench when you, when you want to go towards the end of the game um, and very effective uh it was a game that could have gone either way but he got his win at an important time um and you know we hear the story from um the ex-manchester united players in the media that um, he's on the right path again and uh, there is progress and um look i think it should not come as a surprise that he is able to achieve these results against the bigger teams, particularly Paris Saint-Germain, who are notably weaker than last season and notably weaker in defensive areas than they used to be. The system works if you've got that amount of pace up front, if you've got good people to uh, provide them with passes, and if you can defend uh, well. And obviously it helped him that Harry Maguire wasn't playing in that game because you, you didn't have the uh, susceptibility of Maguire to pace up against Neymar and Mbappe. And you have Axel Two and really uh, most impressive weapon is his pace. Um, and Aaron Wan-Bissaka on the right hand side. Um, it, it shouldn't surprise us that he gets these results. The question mark with Solskjaer has always been whether he can deliver results across the course of the season against all kinds of opponents to be able to win silverware and to be able to compete for the Premier League. Um and we haven't, if if people say they, they see they have seen progress this season in that element, I don't know where they see that progress from. Um and we'll see if he if he can develop it. He's got better personnel now. Um I noted that Rio Ferdinand uh was talking about the transfer window and saying that Solskjaer hadn't been supported in the transfer window. And you know his, his exact quote is, I don't feel that whatever they've got in this window has improved the first 11. That's the problem. Um, which I find a b- bizarre statement given that they've signed a Brazil international left back who should be a clear upgrade on um, Luke Shaw in that position. And they've signed Donny van de Beek, one of the most talented young midfielders in European football who was very close to going to Real Madrid and would have gone to Real Madrid if they didn't have the financial problems that we talked about earlier in the podcast. Those players should be in the first 11 going through the course of the season. And if you don't think they've improved the first 11 by adding them, you don't think you're really looking properly at the recruitment. Yes, they didn't get everything they wanted. Yes, they didn't provide them with his his priority signing, Jaden Sancho, it wasn't a great window for Manchester United, but the squad's improved. So therefore the results should improve over the course of the season. Um, does he have the ability to get them competing for the Premier League title in what is turning into a far more open race than any of us would have expected with the injuries Liverpool have suffered and with some of the, the um bizarre results we've had earlier in the season and I, th- I think we'll probably see the unpredictability of the Premier League continue as long as we're playing behind closed doors um, through the season does he have the ability to achieve that with the resources he's got? I don't think he does but he what he has bought himself with these results is the, the chance to, to prove that he does.
1: Well we shall uh, be watching of course as you will um, Manchester versus Chelsea this weekend with great interest.
0: What's your prediction oh, for the game? As a, as a keen, you love this, don't you? As a keen and a big friend of the Chelsea manager, how do you expect this
1: one? To um, be? Chelsea, to me, um, uh, looked last week in the game against Southampton, like uh, I said this to you before, Duncan, that like Kevin Keegan's Newcastle United, which is score at will and concede at will, uh, which... With Manchester United's ability to hit you in a counter-attack is extremely dangerous. Um, They did play well in defence against Sevilla in the Champions League in midweek. Or certainly, I should say, better in defence. I I, I think Chelsea might just edge it, and that's not me being partisan towards uh, Mr Lampard. Uh, I think they might edge it by a goal um i think manchester united are a very inconsistent unit in terms of the way that they perform i'm not saying the way they play or results but the way they perform um and i so therefore i i believe that you know it may just be one of those results which yeah uh is indicative of this particular unpredictable season in the premier league and therefore I shall pass it to you and tell me what you think is going to happen. <laughs> I, I think, I think the, the
0: question for me is whether Lampard and Jody Morris are prepared to sacrifice the principles with which they're trying to play and meet Solskjaer with fire for fire. So say we're going to... You mean to five start. at the back? Yeah, we, no. <laughs> maybe five at the back, maybe four at the back, but the game plan being you come to us we're not, we're, yes. not, we're not going to try and beat you in your own half. We are going to bring, allow you to come onto us and, and pass in front of our defence, and then we will hit our very fast attackers that we have and use the very good ball users that we have in midfield to open your defence up and score goals. Because if they do that and they score the first goal in the game, um, they have a huge advantage. Always in these big games, or generally in these big games, the team that scores first have a massive advantage obviously Manchester united in their last big game um, scored first with a penalty no surprise there and ended up with a six one defeat but generally that early goal gives a team a big break
1: so here are my two weeks and two uh, and and also the strengths of the the either side I think Werner um given the service will bet, def- definitely tear through Manchester United Central Defence, who are low in confidence and ability. Uh, and I think that Chelsea, who are vulnerable on either flank, could easily concede to the in Marcus Rashford. Um, and that's where I think the goals will come from on both sides. Uh, certainly, uh, if you like, the early goals. Um, and I think that's where, yeah, the, the action will be. You can uh, obviously give us your views. Um, and what you think is going to happen in that game and, of course, everything else we've talked about on today's podcast. But it is Friday, and you know, therefore it's time for the donkey. Uh, The whole of football is listening. Uh, They want to know if they're going to be the recipient of the great golden statue. And um, I'm just going to open the golden envelope here, Duncan, but first I'm going to explain that today's award, I'm not going to say it's the inspiration because that would certainly be the wrong word to, to use in this particular context, but uh, it is the Boris Johnson Award for spending money on what you shouldn't do to please your mates. Uh, and of course, this in uh, response to uh, the government's um, refusal to meet the uh, Manchester United striker Marcus Rashford's demand that school meals be provided over the uh, holidays for hungry children, and instead, uh, basically, blow money on uh, PPE, which doesn't actually work, uh, track and trace, which doesn't work, etc., etc. So um, enough of the politics. You get the idea. I'm going to open the envelope here because this is, of course, about football. Ooh, bit of a difficult one today. Um, so Duncan, we have, um, of course, as usual, um, three uh contenders for this week's donkey. Um I'm liking them all to be fair, but I'm gonna go first of all with um Chelsea uh and Roman Abramovich in particular, um, when sacking uh Josie Mourinho in two thousand and seven and appointing rather surprisingly a man the players uh called the Undertaker which was Avram Grant because of his black polo necks, uh, as perhaps spending that money uh, because of his mate Pini Zahavi, who was Avram Grant's agent and uh, a trusted confidant, and still is, of the Chelsea owner, and appointing Grant uh, for uh, that reason, perhaps more than the reason of his ability to manage a club of Chelsea's size. The uh, second nomination uh, goes to... um, well, <laughs> Manchester United and Ed Woodward, um, who in their uh, efforts to sign Paul Pogba, also decided um, that it'd be a good idea to sign Henrik miketarian or as the Irish say, the legend Mikotarian. And uh, that'd be, of course, because they shared the same agent and the one and only Mino Raiola. And the third Duncan. Is Fulham Football Club, very close to our hearts, uh, for spending money on a statue of Michael Jackson, which sadly is now removed. Of course, he was a friend of the then aura. Um, Such an indulgent uh, thing to do. But still, you know, you could argue that perhaps it was justified. Uh, we would say maybe it was an indulgence. Duncan, I'll leave it to you to pick the winner.
0: I'm intrigued that you're having problems with the envelopes. Have you changed the envelope supplier to one of the government's PPE suppliers? Is that yes?
1: Right? We have, unfortunately. Yeah, it's, it's getting difficult to find the right ones these days. <laughs> Cost ten times as much and doesn't work properly. Yeah, I've no. And of course, one of the cabinet ministers owns the company. <laughs> um, three candidates. Uh, Fulham.
0: Yeah, the Michael Jackson uh, statue was, uh, was one of the, the, the bigger mistakes made, but not one of the most expensive mistakes in English football, so we'll let them off with that one. Ed Woodward and Henrik Mkhitaryan definitely signing Mkhitaryan for a substantial fee in order uh, to make sure that Paul Pogba uh, came to Manchester United. Well, Paul Pogba obviously has ended up being a mistake for Manchester United, Mkhitaryan also a mistake. But they did manage to get that money back um, in that they shifted them to Arsenal in exchange for Alexis Sanchez, um, another mistake. But uh, we'll, we'll absolve them of, uh, of winning this particular donkey because uh, they, they, they got the money back from a Mkhitaryan in the end. I think it has to go to Avran Grant, um, the man who, uh, as I'm told, took one training session at Chelsea um, as manager. Had the players essentially laugh at him, and then handed over training to Steve Clark, uh, one of Jose Mourinho's former assistants, now manager of Scotland, a man who went on to effectively be the the, the head coach at Liverpool with with Kenny Dalglish as manager and and uh, similar position at West Ham United. Um, Clark stuck with what he knew, used the training regimes that uh, he'd worked with under Mourinho and got them to the Champions League final and uh, the next season, Avram Grant was sacked and uh, I don't think there was a great deal of Chelsea players who were disappointed to see The Undertaker buried. (laughs)
1: That doesn't happen very often. (laughs) Indeed. And also, uh, my favourite story about Avram is the the time when he uh, basically... uh, drew up his team sheet for an FA Cup tie on the bus on the way to a game and uh, it took one of the uh, assistant coaches to point out to him that he'd picked 12 players uh, so um, that was kind of yeah, another good story from the Adam Grant uh, regime, maybe we'll do an entire podcast dedicated to it at some point and even get the great undertaker on himself, uh, now that he has been exhumed and uh, is alive and well, we're glad to say. That's it for today's podcast. If you liked what you heard, please leave a five-star review on iTunes. You can subscribe to the Transfer Window podcast on YouTube. Please turn on all notifications and that way you'll get all the news as soon as it comes out. Please also join the discussion with us there. Uh, You can also find us on at Transfer Podcast on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Uh, I'm at Garbo SG Duncan's at Duncan Castles you know we love to engage with you guys please do so that's it for us for this week uh, we will join you again next week please stay safe be well and thanks for listening.